This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 2021-22 season is picking up pace. United have come back from the international break, dispatched of Newcastle in a triumphant return for Cristiano Ronaldo, but followed it up with a disappointing defeat to young boys in Bern. Some view it as a sign of a bigger problem, a consistent problem. Others as simply an off day, an anomaly. United eventually made up for it somewhat with a 2-1 away win against a good in-form West Ham side. The same team will face this Wednesday in the League Cup third round in a strange fixture quirk that echoes last season against Brighton. We'll be talking all three of those latter games, plus Aston Villa on Saturday 25th of September. We'll be considering David De Gea, Jesse Lingard, redemption for those two. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer subs perhaps redemption for them as well. And Jaden Sancho, Martin Atkinson and plenty more. Welcome to Series 7, Episode 7 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. Jack, let's begin by talking about David De Gea and the word is redemption, isn't it? Yeah, redemption was absolutely the name of the game for David De Gea and and for United as a whole. But I think De Gea was, I mean, after the Europa League final, after, what is it, seven years, I think, since he last saved a penalty for United, over 40 penalties faced in that time. I mean, what a time to finally pull out a save. It was It was just such a bizarre end to the game, wasn't it, with especially with Noble coming on and taking the penalty straight away was always just felt like it was destined for disaster. But I literally said, turned and said to my girlfriend, as Noble was stepping up, oh, De Gea hasn't saved the penalty in six years. There's no way he's going to save this one. <laughs> and he obviously did. I mean, I mean, brilliant and great scenes in the away end and brilliant scenes at the end of the game. The whole team was, um, I mean, those are scenes that were just lovely to see. They were beautiful, weren't they? Just seeing De Gea's, he just got this glimpse, this small, very small glimpse of De Gea's smile breaking out while he was mobbed by his teammates at the end of the game. And it just, we've all had our say on David De Gea and I think we've both been pretty strong on the fact that last season, at least we thought Dean Henderson should be starting over him. And eventually that was the case until, except in, in the cup games and the Europa League final, of course. And there's plenty to be said, but throughout that I don't think anyone's ever ever disliked De Gea anyone's ever felt he's not done as much as he can and we love David De Gea and, and it was just really heartwarming seeing that after 
everything he's had to go through, the criticism from people like us, but also people much more high profile as well. And to have that moment to take the spotlight, to take the headlines in front of and, and celebrate in front of the Manchester United away. And it was fantastic. And yeah, it's, it's, that's the beauty of football, a, a penalty taker with a supreme record in Mark Noble and a goalkeeper with a terrible penalty record in David De Gea and who comes out on top, David De Gea. Um, it was interesting to see some goalkeeping analysts on Twitter explaining that De Gea had actually changed his technique compared to the Europa League final with a, a slightly different thing. Um, and that's, that's certainly an interesting note and a positive Um but yeah, just a fantastic, a fantastic moment for, for United. And he has had a good start to the season. The way it? the game ended made that win feel like a much bigger win than it, yeah. it probably actually is. It's the kind of thing that can like build momentum off so much going into the very yeah, busy Yeah, for, for De Gea now. personally as well. This is a, a player who has clearly needed a confidence boost. And I think, I think it's been since the 2018 World Cup when his confidence su- took such a massive hit by making a couple of mistakes for Spain in, in the most high profile circumstances. It's been since then that there have been questions about De Gea pretty consistently. Solskjaer has constantly tried to to keep his confidence levels high, to make sure that the attention on Dean Henderson hasn't affected De Gea's confidence, but of course it has. And that's a massive confidence boost. And confidence is obviously important for every player on the pitch, but for a goalkeeper and a striker, probably those two more than the rest. Yeah, I think the Gea has been in sort of a weird situation. It's felt like his United career been in a bit of limbo for the last couple of years. I think we all expected that Henderson would come in and take over. And, you know, we've been saying that we think Henderson should take over. Yeah. And he's come in this the start of this season and he has looked probably the best that we've seen him since sort of 2017 when, you know, he was really single-handedly keeping United afloat in almost every game we played, it felt like. He's come in, he's already made a, a few stunning saves throughout the season, was brilliant against Wolves and kept us in that game for long stretches. And this penalty save is a... It, I think it's, it's sometimes difficult as a goalkeeper to get sort of moments. You know, there yeah. there are like good performances that a goalkeeper can have, but just by the nature of what you do, you don't really get those moments that strikers and midfielders and goal scorers get. But this will be, I think, right up there for De Gea with any moment that he's experienced in a United shirt it's you know these are the kind of moments as a goalkeeper you don't get very often but will live long long in the memory yeah it it reminded the 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 scenes in particular reminded me of Eric Barry's block against I think it was Aston Villa yeah uh, earlier this year or it might have been right right at the end of December 2020 I mean it's we're a bitter bunch aren't we and it's going to come across right now but I've never liked Mark Noble on the pitch so I thoroughly enjoyed that part as well it was like John Terry being given the, the all important kick in <laughs> yeah. Moscow in the Champions League final of a oh here comes the captain Mr Chelsea Football Club Mr West Ham Football Club well it also nice reminded one. me a little bit of the scenes at the end of um, when we beat City 3-2 to stop them winning the league a couple of years ago and De Gea made that incredible save from Aguero's yeah. header with a couple of minutes left obviously it wasn't quite the same because it wasn't from a penalty but it reminded me a little bit of that as well, just that sort of adulation that you get as a goalkeeper if you do produce a save like that or a block, like you said, in Bailly's case at that sort of time. Yeah. I also, I think it was a moment, maybe not noted, I certainly didn't notice it at the time, but as you see those celebrations happening, the players are huddling around De Gea and one of them is just slightly steps back facing away and it's it's Raphael Varane who's waiting for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to join them, waiting with his arm outstretched to bring Solskjaer yeah. into the huddle and I just thought... Yeah, that's the stuff, isn't it? Feed me that all day, every day of the week and I'll be smiling until I die. 
Um, and it's, it's another I thing thought, that we've seen like throughout all of Solskjaer's time at United. And I think in particular, it's showing now like obviously this is a great moment and would have been celebrated by any team. But I think that that like those sort of scenes are, are something quite unique and special, I think, about this United team at the moment. That yeah. at least as an at looking in from the outside, it does seem that this group is very close knit and a real there's a real togetherness in the group that I don't think has always been the case at United. It's what we've always said. I mean, th- this is the not unique ability of Solskjaer, but it is the the primary ability of Solskjaer is man management and cultivating this group ethos and he doesn't do it in a way and this isn't a slight of Marino this is when Marino was at his very best and I think the same was probably true of Ferguson as well it was about creating a them versus us mentality and and there's been elements of that in Solskjaer's rhetoric throughout his time as United manager but it's not kind of the common theme I think the common theme is 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 I don't know if I don't know if we can say it's a more positive one, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think probably a more positive one just about togetherness and about, yeah, we all want to win something. And it was interesting hearing this week about Varane talking about his chat with Solskjaer before he signed and how Solskjaer was explaining exactly what United want to do, how United want to win, what they need to do to win. And there is this bigger picture and, and we're going to go on to talk about United's performance in general. And then there could be some, some criticism perhaps of Solskjaer, but the, as I think we've all said, and plenty of people have said, the, the amazing strength of Solskjaer and, and it's, it's probably, he could only probably do it at Manchester United. It's probably not something he could recreate at another club because of who he is, but at United, he has a unique ability to, to bring the players together. And yeah, there's an incredible togetherness and, um, just before we move up, that kind of applies to Jesse Lingard as well, everyone rallying around from him. But just before we move on to him, there was a lot of debate about Moyes bringing on Mark Noble. I thought it was an interesting one to discuss in general, but because of what happened with England in the in the Euros final as well. What did you make of bringing on a player at that point? I mean, I, th- I think it's it's just asking for trouble, to be honest. Anytime you bring a player on, I, I, I don't know if... No, the fact that Noble hadn't warmed up at all and that hadn't been on the pitch... To be honest, I don't know how much of a difference that really makes in terms of how likely he is to score a penalty. Because at the end of the day, it's one kick of the ball. And I think, you know, most players who have ever played football could say they could take up, they could show up and, and take a penalty without being warmed up. And it just, it doesn't really change their ability to take a, the, the penalty. The issue though, is that it just, it leaves you so open to to criticism. And it, you know, it's not as if West Ham didn't have good players on the pitch. There are plenty of people on the pitch yeah. already who could have just stepped up and taken that penalty. Declan Rice has taken them in the past. I know he's missed a couple, but I mean, it just, I, to me, it, it's just causing more problems than it solves, to be honest. And I, I wonder, you know, you said about sort of the Mr. Chelsea, Mr. West Ham thing with John Terry and Mark Noble. <laughs> I wonder if, if their penalty taker was someone other than, you know, sort of a, an ever present legend yeah. of the club. I wonder if that decision still in, would have been In made. his last season um, at the club as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, to be honest, look, listen, Mark Noble's a professional footballer and is and more than capable scored. of taking a penalty, I think, regardless of whether he's warmed up or not. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't really think it makes him more or less likely to score. It's just an unnecessary step that if he does then miss, leaves you so open to, to criticism. It was just unneeded, yeah. in my opinion. Well... You see, I, I, I completely understand why it was made. I think it's, I've, to be fair, first of all, I don't, Noble's penalty wasn't that bad. If, I, if they had gone the wrong way, then it's, it's obviously going in. It's not a brilliant penalty, but I think it's been under, I think too much has been made of the substitution and not enough made of the fact it was 
actually a very good save from De Gea. It wasn't a terrible penalty from No, but it's not like he came on without warm up and kind of scuffed it in that way that Dimitar Berbatov did once with a, a little pea roller that the goalkeeper could basically walk over and pick up. But so I think more credit should go to De Gea than criticism to Noble, but I actually think it's fine to make that sub. Um, the reason I disagree with it in the Euros finals because it's a, obviously a much bigger uh, pressure scenario where there's a lot more pressure on. There's, there's not as much in this one, but it did. I, I saw an interesting thing, and you might know more about this following American sports, but the fact that NFL kickers spend their time not on the pitch by practicing elsewhere off the pitch and the fact that there's warm-up rooms in some American sports. And I thought, given how much more of, of how much more football is taken from American sports in terms of specialization in the coaching staff, is it something that perhaps someone will invent in the, in the uh, forthcoming future of kind of warm-up rooms where players go for the fir- their final five minutes before coming on just to kick a ball against the wall, stretch out a bit, and um, yeah, get ready to come on. Well, especially especially at the London Stadium, they have so much space between the the pitch and the the stand. Yeah. There is there is enough space to do it. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it is the it is a little bit weird that you know it's just not really a thing that players go and kick a ball before they warm up. Oh, sorry, as they warm up before they come onto the pitch. I've, yeah, because I've I've never thought about it, but it does seem mad. You just stretch out. You never have a touch of the ball. Yeah, like I, I mean. Obviously, you need to stretch and everything, but I mean, you literally can come on and, and have not kicked a ball for about an hour and a half before you come on, which, yeah. you know, the thought of doing that, like if you were warming up to start the game, you would never dream of only doing, you know, some stretches, some jogging, some fitness work and, and not actually, you know, passing the ball around before the game. So, I mean, it's yeah. just a weird quirk, isn't it, of sort of the way football works. I know that there's obviously space, um, like space limitations involved in a lot of grounds but like I said especially at the London Stadium there is it's one of the few places where there is the space to do it I mean they could easily just go behind the goal and be kicking a ball around yeah you Which see it I, in rugby too actually you see like um, in the, the try areas in rugby you see players like throwing the ball around there yeah. before they come onto the pitch and often they're then like involved in celebrations if their team scores a try at that end of the field it is it's just sort of a weird quirk of football that doesn't really happen. Yeah. If I was a manager watching that and, and I'd been fortunate enough to see the tweet that I did that made me, I'm not, I, I'd never thought about this before, but now it, it just, it's like the glass has shattered. You think, well, why has no one thought of this before? Just have a little warm up room back inside the dressing room if there's not space on the side of the pitch and just have, you know, those things that where you stand in the middle and it's like a pentagon and you, you pass against it just very quickly. Just get loads of touches in before you come on. Because uh, so many of the top, we we always talk about things in, in more detail than sometimes we need to. But so many of the top players just say the most important thing is your first yeah. three or four touches and how good they are, just to get your confidence up. So why not get your touch as good as it can be before coming on? Anyway, that's that's my major footballing thought for the day. But let's talk about Jesse Lingard, whose touches in small areas are sometimes just so brilliant. His ability to to keep the ball and carve out shooting opportunities in such little spaces. We've seen it in in cup finals. We've seen it in other games. And this was exactly that again. He he made that shooting opportunity himself and the finish was just as brilliant as it always is with Lingard. So clean when he's at his best. And and what a moment for him as well as to hear. Yeah, brilliant moment. Brilliant, brilliant moment. I mean, firstly, what a goal. You know, that was a stunning, stunning finish. He created the space really well for himself. And I mean, the fact that it came against West Ham probably makes it a little bit awkward for, for Jesse Lingard himself, but I think for everyone else makes yeah. it 
all the sweeter to have that moment. Obviously, didn't celebrate. He got a great reception when he came on. Yeah, I mean, it's, we, I, I still, you know, we, we talked a lot about the fact that we thought Lingard should be sold. And to be honest, I, I still stick by that. I still think that he should, but that doesn't mean that he's a bad agree, player. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't, it doesn't mean that he has nothing to offer for this season, you know? And when he has come on, he's played pretty well. He obviously has had a roller coaster week with a, yeah. a, a genuine, you know, horror show on the Tuesday against Young Boys. Terrible, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. And then this guy obviously doesn't get rid of that and doesn't make that any less bad, but goes some way, I think, to giving him some redemption as well. And so for, for both De Gea and Lingard, there was um, very much some serious redemption story arcs at play at the London Stadium. Yeah. And it's a credit to, I mean, I guess, it's, I'm trying to decide whether it's a credit to Solskjaer or not. I think it is. He rallied round Lingard, as, as did the rest of the players, stuck his faith in them, carried on. Um, internally and externally brought him on when he needed someone to score and, and Lingard repaid that faith so it's a, it's a credit to, the, to them both that, that's an interesting point to move on to is substitutions as we allude to Lingard came on against young boys and well one thing on the substitutions as well I was just thinking as we were um, talking there I saw recently that um, AFC Wimbledon have hired a, a substitutions yeah. coach and and they're sort of doing that thing where they call subs finishers rather than substitutes to try and get like a different mentality into them. And I wonder, we've seen like set piece coaches yeah. and restart coaches be like more become more of a thing. I wonder if substitution coaches will be sort of the next innovation that coaching staffs have in the game. Yeah. And maybe we will see subs kicking the ball around. I think, yeah, it's a really interesting point. Just to clarify, I was listening to a, a feature on uh, Five Live Sport about this with an interview with the, the Wimbledon manager. The substitution coach isn't to kind of tell, it's not to tell the manager which subs to make, which it almost sounds like when you first hear it. It's to talk to the substitutes before they come on, to talk to them well before they come on, oversee their warm up, do all of that, speak to them about specific things while the manager is looking at other things in the game as, as they have to do. It's kind of giving them that dedicated few minutes from a specialised coach who, who can really devote some attention to getting the most out of them while they're on the pitch. It, it is a really interesting idea and as, there's so much innovation within football and yet there's also, there's just so much untapped potential in stuff like that. And ultimately it comes down to, to budgets a lot of the time. But you think about how much the elite clubs certainly spend on on players and travel and, and well, everything. <laughs> but they could improve themselves so much more rather than spending an extra five million on a player who's a slight improvement on what they've already got by introducing these these kind of innovations. Yeah, Wimbledon's, Wimbledon's really interesting. It's also throughout the week, another arc of redemption from young boys, nightmare to success at West Ham. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was a tough week for United. In, after Tuesday, I think there was a lot of doom and gloom after what had been a, a club, you know, riding a wave on um, the weekend before. We, I said in the last podcast, this is a special time to be a United fan because of what's happening both on the pitch and, you know, with Ronaldo coming back and everything. And Tuesday really sort of took the, the gloss of it, of everything. Um, but, you know, it was a, a week of, of redemption for United as well as a team because I think I was certainly worried going into the West Ham game that if we had another bad result against a team who were playing very well, and then going into this extremely difficult run of fixtures that we have coming up soon, you know, the, the momentum of the start of our season could be could be waning. But I think Solskjaer, after a I think managing Tuesday very, very poorly, and we shouldn't 
completely gloss over that. I know we're focusing most on the West Ham game, but I think Solskjaer, you know, really, really does take a lot of the blame for the disaster yeah. that was the young boys' defeat. You know, obviously his subs helped change the game in the end. And I think he we managed the West Ham game pretty well. I actually think our performance was much better than the closeness of I the agree, game yeah. suggests. I thought we played pretty well. And we until the penalty decision, we I thought we managed the game relatively well. Yeah. That, that, that did feel a little bit, it did feel a little bit like after the second goal, there was that kind of, you just, you thought something was coming from West Ham. And that's, that kind of niggling fear is, is, is not something you really want to have. I thought, I thought we were much better value than what, than the position we were in at 86 minutes before Lingard scored. On the other hand, there were, there were some things to be concerned about. It's, it's as we spoke about last season, fine margins that we, Fernandez hit the post. We should have had two penalties, possibly three. Um, a few chances got missed. Ronaldo messed up the, the one-on-one that McTominay so brilliantly set him up with, with that defence splitting through ball. There were lots of fine margins. On the other hand, we saw lots of frustrating things that we've seen before. We saw a quick start, then this sudden just drop in intensity from nowhere that allowed West Ham into it as soon as they had one chance. We saw United go behind with a poor bit of defending, a couple of lapses in concentration, come back into it by suddenly playing well, waking up with some individual quality, an amazing ball by uh, by Bruno Fernandes again for the second time in a week and a good movement from Ronaldo. Again, in the second half, we looked good, then this sudden drop in intensity again and then another bit of individual brilliance to win it. Um, incredibly somehow with the longest away unbeaten run in the history of English top flight football there are still questions about Manchester United and it's mad should there be? yes because it's obvious for all to see why are there still questions? I I don't really know but the the drop of intensity throughout the games can't happen we always seem to seed momentum in these games when we shouldn't I mean I think the question marks it was interesting watching United and then Chelsea back to back on Sunday because I think the question marks, maybe in terms of the results, they aren't valid, but you watch us and you watch Chelsea play and I think the question marks are still very valid because we, we I saw someone say this on Twitter, I can't remember who it was now, but that United is a team that has so many match winners that it feels almost inevitable at times that someone will pop up with something to win us a game. And obviously that's what happened at West Ham. Whereas you look at a team like Chelsea and they just look, they look comfortable the entire game. And I don't think that's something that is always the, or really ever the case with this United team. And I, I think we're just a much more roller coaster experience than most other top teams are. And I think that's, that's sort of who we are at the moment. And I, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. We just, I think because we are a team, and we've said this for so long, we're a team that relies on more individual play than good structure, than good sort of systems you know, you see a team like Chelsea that is very, very much based on those sort of systems and a coherent yeah. whole. They look very comfortable and, and almost play within themselves, I feel like, with Chelsea. And it's the same same with City as well. Whereas United, it's very much sort of helter-skelter football. We go through these peaks and troughs, both within games and between games. And then you sort of are relying on these moments of individual brilliance to sort of drag us through. And can United win the league like that? I th- the answer is, honestly, I don't know. My instinct is no, that you need, given the quality of Chelsea City and Liverpool, you, you can't just rely, you can't just have a system which kind of says, well, if our individuals pop up with something good enough, we'll win these games. If they don't, then we won't. 
and that's sometimes what it feels like and it's not it's not that simple yeah. it, w- it would be silly to suggest it's that simple and we've often praised Solskjaer for some of his tactical changes we've often criticised them they obviously also play a part but it, I think it can yeah. I think it's enough to carry us to, to the league if we we shore up at the back I actually don't think we've we've played very badly in defence so far this season I think we've been a bit unlucky to concede I think I think we've, oh, Wolves was the only clean sheet we've had isn't it I, I think that yeah. ironically I think that was probably the game where we deserve to concede the most yeah. I think in general we, we've actually done okay and I think the maguire Varane partnership looks like it can be something very good for us I think if we can if if we can stop conceding goals, then yes, I think it is enough to rely on those match winners because all you then need is one moment. And when you have and, and you they're know, so good, aren't they? Right, exactly. That's the thing I was going to say that they're they're so good, and we have so many of them. It's not like it's just Fernandez anymore. There's you know we if assuming let's say we play a front four at any point of maybe Pogba, Fernandez, Greenwood, Ronaldo. All four of those are capable of producing those moments to win us a game. Effectively with on ama- their own. And, and, and with amazing subs, Sancho, Rashford, right, exactly. Martial. Rashford, Sancho, Martial, even Lingard can pop up with stuff at times. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's not like it's we're reliant on just one or two players anymore, but it is still a tough task if you're conceding goals. Yeah, I thought it was interesting again that I think United looked better when Ronaldo dropped deeper and there was kind of a problem where no one was running in front, running off the shoulder when he did drop deep and when, when someone did do that, then suddenly he thought, all right, that, that that's it. There's someone to pass to. But too often there was, is the same as against, oh, was it Southampton or Wolves? I can't remember which one, but the same problem of having just a bank of five attackers just waiting on the shoulder of the defence and no one else really moving when there were no options in the middle. And it, the problem really so often in the game was just tempo, just letting the ball go so slow when it really just needed to be speeded up and up and up and, and, and get United going, make West Ham keep moving because they were happy for us to have the ball. And still, for all the brilliance of Pogba and Fernandez and Ronaldo, and I think Ronaldo does help with this because he passes within one or two touches pretty much every time, com- contrastingly to his first play at United. I think he does help. But for all the brilliance in that team, there's still no one who who, who can dictate the tempo in the way that we want them to. There's players who can slow it down. There's no doubt about that and carve things down, but there's no one who can, re- who can speed things up. And it's, it's even the good players. Luke Shaw is a player who slows things down too much. Paul Pobber's a, a player who slows things down too much. And someone needs to be in that midfield. And Fred's not good enough to do it. And McTominay's not good enough to do it to, to speed things up when United need to. And it was needed so many times on, on Sunday. Yeah. And ironically, the one player that we do have that does speed things up is Bruno Fernandes but he speeds things up in a way that ends up with us losing the ball very often which is fine that's obviously just the way that he plays but we, ju- we just don't have anyone that is we've talked about this word in regards to Van der Beek before that we just we don't have a player that is efficient and I think that is honestly yeah. a, a profile of player that we could use in midfield because we just we need to move the ball quicker and it has it has been better I will say I think West Ham actually especially in the first half I actually thought we did move the ball pretty well, even in moments where West Ham were, you know, sitting back in a structured, solid sort of defensive shape. I think we actually did move the ball pretty quickly. But at moments when we're chasing the game, you know, I, I to be honest, towards the end, I didn't think we we looked like scoring that goal. Obviously, yeah, the guard pops neither. up with a moment of magic. But that was when the game did start to slow down because in those moments you start to, I feel like, revert back to your sort of habits. And that's when you get the likes of Pogba, you know, Ronaldo, even Sancho at times, you know, taking too many touches, taking too long on the ball. 
So that profile of player that can move the ball quickly, but also do it in a, in a, in a manner where they don't lose the ball as often as someone like Fernandez would make a big difference to this team. Yeah. On the referee, very quickly, uh, we were going to talk about it in more detail, but we've been speaking about more positive things and more interesting things. But the referee, I think there should have been four penalties in that game. Two for Fowles and Ronaldo, one for Wambasaka's tackle on Suchek, which was mind-blowingly given as a foul from Suchek or Wambasaka. That, that was a clear and obvious error. I think both the Kufal incident, Ronaldo's obviously initiated the contact. He's been going one way and then run into Kufal, but Kufal has, has certainly has put his leg there and not removed it. So Ronaldo has every right to to make the contact there and go down. The second one, he's uh, the problem with the second one is he's going down before he gets tackled, which he shouldn't do because it's silly and he's not going to get given it. He's going down before he gets tackled deliberately, but he is then fouled. And so I think it should be a penalty. Maybe if it was for the opposition, I, I disagree. So yeah, I think I think there should have been two apiece. I think Shaw's was ultimately one because his hand was away from his body, even though. Uh, he was so close to the ball. It's harsh, but yeah, I think it should be four penalties. One was given. It was it was shocking from uh, from Martin Actions and the VAR. And I think it was Darren England the VAR. Yeah, I agree with you. I think four penalties really should have been the, the name of the game. The what was okay. So I think on our ones first. I think the the two Ronaldo incidents. I think it is completely justifiable to say that neither of those should be a penalty, right? Because yeah, you are right. The first one with the coup foul. Ronaldo is sort of trying to initiate the contact. Kufal leaves a leg out there and, you know, there is definitely contact. Then the second one with Zuma, Ronaldo does go down, you know, quite appreciably earlier than Zuma is actually put in the tackle. Yeah. So on both of those occasions, I think there are reasons why you could say they shouldn't be given. What really frustrated me though in the game is that it's, it happened about two minutes before the Ronaldo and the first yeah. one, the Kufal incident. Yeah. When Pogba puts a challenge in on Zuma in midfield. Yeah makes no contact as he's pulling his leg away and Zuma jumps yeah. five yards up in the air and Pogba, you know, the, the foul is conceded. Now, fine, I get it. Zuma was trying to jump out the way. He was still impeded by Pogba, even though there was no contact. I don't, yeah. I don't think that should be a foul, but if you want to give it, I can see why. But then how can that be a foul? But two minutes later, Ronaldo driving at Kufal, Kufal trying to pull out the challenge, but still contact being made. How can the Zuma one be a foul when there was no contact, but the Ronaldo one not be one when there is contact? Yeah, and, and Sufal made no attempt to get out of the way. It's not as if he'd, no, he, exactly. hadn't, he hadn't left his leg in and then tried to remove it and just at the last minute not managed to do so and Ronaldo had gone into it. He just he just left his leg there. He never made any attempt to yeah. move it. And so Ronaldo had every right to do that. And it was knee to knee. I think even regardless of the Zuma one, there's like a very good shout for that being a penalty. And after giving that Zuma foul, I don't yeah. see how you how you can justifiably say the Zuma one is a is a foul, but that one isn't. I do and think yeah, Ronaldo the, carries a reputation from from his first spell in oh, England. Oh, absolutely. And I think I, I think we will see a little bit more of this, and that's and why it, Solskjaer is, fair, is clever to bring in, it up. And to be fair, even in the West Ham game, there were moments that would make you sort of doubt the how real some of those reactions were, you know, like the one, Absolutely, yeah. the Creswell one where he, he tugs his arm and Ronaldo falls on the floor. You know, he does have this reputation. He, he, to be honest, watching the game at times gave me flashbacks to being so frustrated with Ronaldo doing this kind of stuff when he first joined United. Um, well, this, this is what I think is, is he, he's just, he needs to stop. I was saying earlier to some, in, in another conversation about the same topic is, 
if he knows he's been fouled, just pick the ball up and, and put it on the penalty spot and just wait for VR to check it. Don't don't fall on the floor, get on your knees, start doing a, a praying symbol and and just laugh laughing in the referee's face. Just be serious, pick up the ball, put it on the penalty spot. And if he doesn't give it, he doesn't give it. Ronaldo doesn't care about looking like an idiot because he has yeah. done in the past and he'll score enough that it doesn't matter. Just do it and wait for the penalty to be given. Don't give the referee a reason not to change his mind. Yeah, and it's easy to say that, you know, referees shouldn't be influenced by that kind of stuff. And of course they shouldn't in in the ideal world, but there are still humans making this decision. Even on VAR, it's still humans ultimately that are making these decisions. And so it's easy to say we should be taking all the bias out of it, but that still plays on your mind as a referee. It has to. There's no way you can take that completely out of your thinking. So I think he, he doesn't help himself, but at the same time, it was, uh, I mean, all three of those should have been penalties for my money. And even the sure one is is unlucky, but was absolutely the right decision given where we are with the rules. We talked about this before that I think handballs like that, if we're going to be saying that, you know, any handball is, any time the ball hits the hand, no matter the distance, is a foul. I think we should be giving indirect free kicks rather than a penalty. Yeah. But given where the law is now, it were, I mean, that was nailed on. It had to be given as a penalty. Yeah, very quickly before we head on to the second West Ham of the game of the week. We haven't really spoken about young boys except to say how terrible it was and that's exactly what it was. Three final quick things. Great to see how buzzing Pogba was after it. Just love to see that. And there's no one better at piss-boiling opposition fans than Paul Pogba and it's wonderful to see. Mason Greenwood, I thought was really mature. Another really mature performance. His decision making is just so good. He's he's selfless when he needs to be, selfish when he needs to be. He didn't score. Uh, I don't think he got an assist either, but it doesn't matter. He was just he, he had a good performance. I also thought Jay Sancho was good when he came on and should have come on earlier, probably. And I think it was good to see Roy Keane defending Sancho. That's exactly who he needed backing him up is Roy Keane saying why are you judging him so quickly I actually think Sancho has been good so far I think there's a lot more to come and as I said over the last few weeks I think it'll take him a couple of months to really settle in properly and look good but I think he's he's doing well um, let's talk about the West Ham game in the League Cup starting off with well I mean starting off with looking back to last season it, the parallels to last season are slightly peculiar um the League Cup last year gave United a bit of respite from an otherwise terrible start. We beat Luton 3-0, we beat Brighton 3-0. In between those two games was the absolute manic end to the game at Brighton uh, where with Bruno Fernandes' post-final whistle penalty kick. Again, a manic end at West Ham and again we play the same team in the Premier League and then in the League Cup within three or four days. A strange quirk of the fixture list, a double header that mirrors last season. This will be a tough game. Uh, the one consolidation is West Ham are in Europa League and fighting for to do well in the Premier League again and keep up with how they did last season. The League Cup certainly won't be their priority. The uh, the, the bad thing is Mikel Antonio will be back for them from suspension. So it, it will be tough, but I'm expecting a pretty much fully rotated lineup from Solskjaer. Yeah, I imagine it'll be uh, much changed. Like you said, it is weird that two seasons in a row we've had this playing a team you know twice in the space of three or four days, but... I mean, I would imagine we'd be making at least six or seven changes. I think we'll see the likes of Lindelof coming in, uh, maybe Eric Bailly partnering him at the back. I mean, like Darlo playing at right back. I, I, I mean, it's a bit of a weird game to, to preview now because we can probably say a lot of the same things we said going into the Premier League game, except I'm probably only five or six of the players that started that game will start this one as well. I mean, it's it's definitely a tough draw, United. I think it's it's pretty crazy how 
how many draws we seem to get early in these cup competitions against pretty good opposition. Um, but I mean, this is another one. Yeah, we've had a lot of Premier League League Cup games recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our, we had, obviously we ended up losing last year in the FA Cup. But if we'd have actually gone on to the final in the FA Cup last year, our run to the final would have been pretty astonishing in terms of the the teams that we faced. But I mean, it's a, 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 as we seem to say every week, and I think it is something that we'll probably come back to every time. It's a game we should win. It, it just sort of depends how we show up on the day. And this is kind of my to go back to my earlier point about the difference between United and Chelsea you're just still not entirely sure which United is going to show up yeah absolutely I think to be fair I actually think he could make a lot more changes than that he could change 10 I think the only one who has to play again is Luke Shaw um, because Alex Tellez is still a couple of weeks away I think from being fit enough certainly fit enough to, to start already I don't think he's ready yet I don't think Dean Henderson is ready yet it sounds like he's had a really actually had a really bad time with Covid and, and the after effects and has uh, struggled to recover but he is, he is almost back and he played for the under 23 so maybe he will be back if he's back I expect he'll start otherwise it could be a a debut for Tom Heaton 12 years after he graduated or even more 12 years since he left United even more than that since he graduated from the academy he could finally make his debut in what we think would be the longest wait for a debut for a United Academy graduate, which would be a, an interesting stat. But I expect one of them to start. You could have a back four of Dallow by Lindelof and Shaw. You could have Matic and Van der Beek in midfield. You could have Sancho, Lingard and Elanga behind Martial. Matt will probably start actually, so maybe take Elanga out. Lingard will certainly start. I think Sancho will start. I think Van der Beek will start. I think Martial will start. So that it could be 10 outfield changes um, and it will be the annual appearance of Juan Mata who who he actually got United's player of the month for September last year because of his two goals in the League Cup third and fourth round against Luton and Brighton so maybe we'll see him shine again against West Ham this week I remember you mentioning that Juan Mata got our September player of the month in our season review last last year yeah. I, I honestly went back and read and checked it because I could not believe that that actually happened Yeah, I mean it's We've come a long way. Let's put it that way. Um, well, it's because everyone else yeah, is I mean, so poor that month. Well, yeah, exactly. There's a big difference from where he, we are. He now. didn't play in the. He didn't play in the terrible defeat to to Palace or the <laughs> dramatic game against Brighton. I don't think he. I'm not sure. I think the Spurs game might have been at the start of October, but um, he wasn't scarred by the defeats, and he'd done well in the League Cup. So yeah, it's like some of those. Um, on some of those months under Van Hal where the Twitter account would try and do the uh, goal of the month and they'd only have academy goals to choose from because the first team didn't yeah, score yeah. a single one. Um, but I mean, what you say about all these changes, it's, I mean, it's a great position that we're in that, you know, we've, our, our depth has come this far now that we're able to make 10 or 11 changes and still field what looks on paper like a pretty strong team. You know, a few years ago, yeah. we were basically having to either deal with the fact that we'd have you know for lack of a better word a complete dross on the pitch or you know only make a couple of changes and still you know sort of run players into the ground remember when Fernandez first started he he just couldn't buy a rest because we couldn't afford to not play him in any game you know we've come a long way from there Uh, and it's a it's a really nice feeling to know that we can make all those changes and still you know potentially have a a forward line of say Van der Beek, Mata, Lingard and Martial that's not a terrible you know, front four, I think it's a, it's a decent enough team. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it might, it, it's unlikely to look convincing. Yes. But it, for for it lack of playing time mainly. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, I, th- I mean, I don't know if you saw this as well. There was a, a crazy stat that went around 
after half-time in the Young Boys game when Van der Beek obviously got brought off because Solskjaer went to five at the back, that if you take the amount of appearances Van der Beek has had and the amount of minutes and work out how many minutes he's had per appearance, it's something like 35 minutes per appearance, which... <laughs> You know, you just you just gotta feel sorry for him, haven't you? Really, that he's been like the chances I that felt, he's been given. Yeah, I felt so bad he has for both been given him. It's been so limited. Yeah, I felt really bad for him and Sancho. I hope Wambasaka was profusely apologising for his stupid challenge, which came after a typical loose touch from Wambasaka. I hope he was apologising in the dressing room after, specifically to Van der Beek and Sancho, because that was a massive chance for both of them, and they were both playing all right, and he ruined it for them pretty much and they will get more chances but that was a, a particular that was a, so supposedly the easiest game in the group stage apart from young boys at home um, and a great chance with a bit more space for Van der Beek and Sancho to really stake a claim for themselves and it didn't happen um, which is a shame but maybe this will be Van der Beek's chance instead uh, I think most important to rest are probably Fernandez, Pogba and Fred maybe who's, who's also played a lot in, in the start of the season um, we're, we're going to wrap things up there but I think it should again be noted it's the first midweek match at Old Trafford with fans for a long long time and at some point the simple observation that fans are back isn't that great uh, will will no longer be made quite so regularly but that point has not arrived yet because the sport we love is back to its best with supporters and that was certainly true again at West Ham I imagine that game without fans it just would not have been the same at all and this is only the third Old Trafford match with a capacity crowd for the last 18 months and, and that's brilliant so enjoy the game wherever you're watching it at Old Trafford or at home um, we'll be speaking to you next week we're just going to go into our Patreon Q&A where we've got a question from Dave Shevlin who says who do you think it's an important match against West Ham for, to make a claim to be involved in the league we've got one from Michael on a defensive midfielder we've got one from uh, Dave again on De Gea uh, one from Havard on youth players and one from Steve on our strongest 11 so if you want to listen to that find our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there for more information about how to become a patron there'll be a link in the pinged tweet but if you want to hear from Jack during the week, you can find him on Twitter at at UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 We'll speak to you next week. Have a good one. Goodbye. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.